You stole it. My name is Matthew Kroll. You stole it. I'm Alan Noah. No, you stole it. I'm James Brief. Then I stole it. It's gold capitalism. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. It is quite a um, fortuitous turn of events that the four of us are back together again. It's as though destiny has intertwined us because this is not the first time we've been together in the last few weeks to discuss Indiana Jones. Joining us today is Alan Noah and James Bree from the Test of Time podcast. How are you guys? Great. Thank you so much for having us. I, I'm very good, and uh, I would love to learn something. Um uh, what, what was that word you said? I, I don't. That sounds like a wonderful word. The port. Uh... Port. Uh, well, I, you know, I just say things on the fly. It could have been a made-up word for all I know. Jay, and I never so. listened to oh, it. Oh, so yeah, I, and, oh, and I didn't want to embarrass. Oh my god, that didn't want to embarrass. <laughs> I was like, wow, the portinguous medium. Well, did like, I say fortuitous? I, I, I do say fortuitous a lot. It might have been fortuitous. Yeah, oh, you, you said might fortuitous. have said fortuitous. I just misheard you. Oh, okay. I was like, wow. I just, it, just the way you said it. Yeah, I was like, I want to be. This is a portinguous crowd. We sure are. If, I if, but uh, yes, I would love. If I did make up words, and, it, and at some point I said it was the Portuangus uh, event of us joining hands together in the Dial of Destiny. But I want to also just point out that for listeners who are who can't get enough of either of our podcasts, there was a crossover episode just a few weeks ago where we appeared on the Test of Time podcast to discuss Steven Spielberg's third entry into the Indiana Jones franchise, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which is a film, just to recap, we all kind of loved, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Correct. Very much. And yeah. so this week, yeah. we are going to take the reins yet again uh, and and maybe bring out the hat and the whip and, and, and what else does Indy wear? The leather jacket, I guess? Yeah. Um, yeah. Ride a horse. Whatever it is he's going to do and roll back in for James Mangold's entry into the franchise, the fifth film in the Indiana Jones franchise. Fourth film. Fourth film. <laughs> Technically, according to Matt's rules, the, the, the fourth film and the 600th video game, if anyone's listened to that mm-hmm. episode. But wait, but actually, actually, before we move on, just before we move on, which was the best Indiana Jones video game? Does anyone play these? I, oh, I it's not even a question for me. Okay, it's Atlantis, it? in oh. my opinion. Fate of Atlantis. Indiana yeah. Jones, the Fate of Atlantis for PC and Macintosh, yep, as it yep. would have been known back then. Yeah. Not Mac. Um, and yeah, f- fantastic. It was one of those point and click games. If you've ever played a game like King's Quest or, uh, you know, one of those kind of games in the 80s or 90s, same yeah. kind of thing. Really, Telltale really games, uh, they brought that genre back uh, for the Xbox and PlayStation era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it had a great story from her, from what I remember, The Fate of Atlantis, right? Like, it, he was like, like to the point, uh, Alan, you read a lot of the books. The Fate yes. of Atlantis was actually a great Indiana Jones story as well, right? From, from memory, that was what was so great about it. I, I heard that. I Yeah, I never played that game, but, but I did hear that that was good. All right, all right. It was a great But it's it also just fun. so obviously a good Indiana Jones story because it's Atlantis. You can do so much with it. It can be magical because Atlantis is known for being sort of a magical, uh, you know, a technologically advanced uh, place. So it was well done. And since it's animated, of course, uh, you know, he could be fighting the Nazis. And you also <laughs> get to punch Nazis. And that's really fun. Well, they could, so so. Wait, are we suggesting that the the next adaptation should be an animated version of the Fate of Atlantis? Ooh, I, I'm saying I'm <laughs> saying that in the in the medium of video games, you're able to have a believable 
younger Harrison Ford punching Nazis in a way that perhaps <laughs> in current day cinema uh, might hit that uncanny valley just a tad bit. Like you scratch along the side of it. <laughs> well, I'm excited to. You hear know, for that. years when we were waiting between Indiana Jones and uh, well, well, uh, what. A, a film I've seen, I guess, it's an indie film, uh, the, the uh, Kingo, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. There were about, there were decades when there was a Frank Darabont uh, screenplay, supposedly. Yeah. Uh, Frank Darabont, famously, he's the uh, director of Shawshank Redemption. He did the first and uh, arguably best season of The Walking Dead. Uh, he, he's a great filmmaker. And for years, uh, no one knew what that screenplay was about. And people thought it was about Atlantis and... Uh, you know, it, it's just you know, Indiana Jones, as Al mentioned when he talked about his series of novels. It's an endlessly, uh, it's an endlessly, it, 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 there's endless stories from it. Yeah, yeah. as as he mentioned in, the, in in you guys's episode on Last Crusade, we're we're talking as if we never left each other. Just so <laughs> you know, for everyone who doesn't know, Alan uh, and James do a phenomenal podcast called the Test of Time Podcast, in which she here mentioned we guested on uh, the Last Crusade episode. We talked for like an hour and a half about a bunch of Indiana Jones stuff. So if we say something in the course of this podcast that you're like, they didn't talk about that. Chances are we did on their podcast. So go listen to that one and then listen to this one. It's, it's canonically, it's the right way to do it. Correct, correct. And I feel like someone has to say it, so no one else has said it, so I'm just going to say, what is this, a crossover episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically, it's... Yeah, it's at the Arrowverse, and you know this is one of the uh, you know the Flash and uh, you know, Legends of Tomorrow. You, you got to watch them all to get the full story. Yeah, you, you got to watch all twenty-seven seasons, where four of them are really good. <laughs> um, Only specific episodes of those. Seasons. I really liked. I really liked. Uh, uh, what was it? Tomorrow uh, of the Arrowverse. What was it? The hero. What was it called? It's the episode of oh, Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I really actually enjoyed the first season of that quite a bit. And then I just, like, it got too wonka do for me. Anyway, we're here to talk about Indiana Jones and or a dial that apparently has something to do with destiny. Um, I'm going to read the IMDb uh, description so we all know what this movie is about, even though we saw it. <laughs> Archaeologist Indiana Jones races against time to retrieve a legendary artifact that can change the course of history. I like it. I like it, and I'll tell you why. Spoils nothing. <laughs> not much. Short not a lot to be spoiled in this movie, I guess. Well, uh, I disagree. I yeah, will get into it. There's no, something you... that you shouldn't spoil until the midpoint of this conversation, because uh, <laughs> when it happened, I had a reaction. Okay, okay. <laughs> Can I can I talk a little bit about my reaction first and to say just to kind of point out this one thing about Indiana Jones which is that this beloved franchise which started as an answer to James Bond as George Lucas and Indi and Sp uh, Steven Spielberg sat around a table uh, and I believe the 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 other writer um uh who was one of the writers uh, was it Lawrence Kasdan? Lawrence Kasdan, yes. Yep. Was the the other writer in the room uh trying to figure out a way to both capture the the sort of essence of the 50s serial, 
plus uh, plus something akin to James Bond, but a more American version. Eventually evolved into this archaeologist, uh, famously with the film Raiders of the Lost Ark, which um, captured the, the, the hearts and minds, almost played by Tom Selleck at one point, uh, but captured the hearts and minds of mothers around the world, <laughs> as we discussed on our episode. Uh, you know, uh, Harrison Ford introduced into the public lexicon as one of the sexiest archaeologists alive. Um, has now spawned at least four franchises, depending on who you're asking in this room. Uh, four sequels, depending on who you're asking in this room. Um, and oddly, in in my mind, has become what once was a sort of fun serial, also now a treatise on aging, because Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was also a movie that really played into the fact that Indiana Jones was now getting older. And what do we do with a, a, a once great adventure, adventurer who is getting older? Uh, you know, at what point does he settle down? Now, Dial of Destiny, uh, Indiana Jones, or at least Harrison Ford, the actor playing Indiana Jones, is uh, filmed this when he was 78 years old, is now 80 years old. Um, and again, the film kind of, in many ways, because of the fact that we're, we're, we're both using an actor who's aged through the, the role, becomes somewhat of an exercise in discussing the the passage of time i guess is one way is one way to think about it um and in that respect i have to say this is the first of the franchise that has not been directed by steven spielberg uh this is directed by james mangold who probably most famously to a lot of people uh directed uh logan you know one of the best x-men entries i guess that there is uh but also a couple of uh, a bunch of other great movies like uh copland uh and ford v ferrari recently as well um i have to say in the respects of this being an examination of the passage of time i thought this was actually pretty successful and did a lot for me because of one or two particular scenes in this movie that i think highlight what mangold is really good at which is reaching for pathos and characters that might ordinarily be seen as kind of, you know, fun or lighthearted, but he's able to kind of tap into something unique. And I, I thought that was an interesting dissection of what Mangold is good at. Because on the other side of it, you know, the, the, the series being helmed by Steven Spielberg and then uh, written and produced by George Lucas, I think th- the series has been much better served by those two in terms of creating action set pieces that are really well considered well thought out and thrilling I, I don't think the film for me succeeded on that level but it did succeed on this other level about being a treatise on aging so that's kind of and and critical consensus may not be with me on this by the way so i'm curious where the rest of the room sat on it uh i've kind of got a you know a split reaction to the movie uh alan or james why don't you guys take it for to start well, as somebody that can talk about uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I'll just follow you up on uh, the fact that I slightly uh, – uh, well, I agree and disagree with what you said about Crystal Skull. It did acknowledge his aging, but I thought it was a little more in like a lethal weapon, uh, Danny Glover uh, – uh, I'm getting uh, too old for this Sergeant shit. Murtaugh. Yeah. Exactly. But then Murtaugh still kicks ass because right. he's Murtaugh and he's awesome. I thought it was like if the opening scene – he like flies into this truck and he punches people and it's like he like holds his back or something right. like you know but he still did adventures and it was 
pretty much Indiana Jones, uh, the, you know, serial adventure stuff. This movie definitely leaned into not only aging, but kind of maybe even end of life stuff and acknowledging this is the end because this is the final film. You know, certainly uh, what I think that final film that Harrison Ford will be making. I uh, I do have theories that there will be plenty of AI uh, Raiders of the Lost <laughs> Ark, uh, Indiana Jones spinoffs in the years to come. But uh, <laughs> but uh, that being said, I thought they handled the aging uh, very well. How about you, Alan? I guess I kind of agree because I felt like this movie did sort of lean into that whole um, aging thing where there's one part where Indy tries to, you know, do like that side punch where the guy's standing next to him and he's going to take out that guy and then take out the other guy, which he's done in the original trilogy probably many times. But immediately the guy's like, no, what are you doing? And just like <laughs> bats his fist away. I'm like, OK, yeah, that makes sense. This guy's, you know, late 70s. But then there were other scenes later on in the movie where Indiana Jones is still punching and beating up people, uh, you know, just like he used to. And I was like, but wait, I thought he couldn't do that. And I thought he wasn't going to do that. So I think the the aging Indiana Jones thing worked sometimes. And Mm -hmm. then other times I felt like they kind of ignored their own rules. Um, and I mean, just sort of like bigger picture about the movie in general, I thought that it did work sort of as an adventure movie. And if I had watched this movie and it wasn't Indiana Jones, it was just some aging guy who had been on some other adventures that we only heard about, you know, that happened off screen. I might have liked it more, you know, because I, I... I don't want to compare it to the other Indiana Jones movies. I want to treat it as its own separate thing, but I can't. Like, you know, like I have to look at it in the context of these other movies that came before. And so, you know, trying my very, very, very best to keep an open mind and not compare it and treat it as its own thing, I still did feel like, even though there were parts of the movie that I enjoyed, I still did kind of walk out of there thinking, yeah, but it's still not it's still not up to the original trilogy. Okay. Sure. How about you, Matt? Uh, I'm going to say this. I liked it. I like <laughs> this movie. This movie is it's it's big and dumb and has a lot of problems. I liked it. <laughs> uh, I I I think the 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 to Shahir's point about it being a treatise on age and aging, I think it that is that is a good sort of sentiment. It ta- it shows Indiana Jones uh, in the most cartoonish way, but like, oh man, society is just moving forward, and like, he's just in this shitty apartment, and like, he, due to tragedy, is not married anymore, and he no longer has a son, and and like, it's that whole like, what at the end of your life, what are you living for, kind of vibe, and in that way, I think that the treatise on aging really works. But then, to both of your points, James and Alan, there are moments when the physicality is like, I'm old, and then there's other things where he's just clocking dudes out and like racing yeah. tiny, tiny little trikes like Formula One cars, <laughs> like with the reaction time of a professional athlete. And then there's other times where he does a whip and it's not intimidating at all, and everyone tries to shoot at him. Uh, so like, that's not from from a from a mechanical standpoint. I think it's very uneven. But this is the odd thing. 
from a mechanical standpoint, this whole movie is really uneven. And and yeah. it's it's so like no, the issue of like the aging versus not aging didn't clock with me because the entire thing is a top that's just wobbling back and forth that like there's so many like problems and sort of weird things happening. I expected to be bucked off or for the top to stop for me. It didn't. It didn't, and then the twist near the end got me so fucking on board with this movie, <laughs> which I did not expect. Again, wow. lots of problems. I am so... Speaking of aging, can we just stop? Can we stop fucking de-aging actors? And if we do, if we do de-age them... Can we, at the very fucking least, get a young actor to wear the the young old actor's digital face to do the physicality and the movements? The t the spot in the beginning when we're dealing with young Indy on the Nazi treasure train, when mm -hmm. it still looks pretty good. Whenever he moves, he's moving like an octogenarian, like shuffling along, and it's so <laughs> disconcerting. And there's old man Harrison Ford's voice coming out of his mouth, not young indie. And you, you can't fucking tell me they couldn't have cleaned that up with more computer wizardry. So like, there's like, and I understand from a from an actor perspective why, but if you're signing off to change your entire facial appearance in that way to be a younger version of you, you should kind of want that to be the best version, like the best younger version as possible. And when you're talking like this, it's coming out of a 30-something-year-old Indiana Jones. <laughs> it doesn't feel real. So, uh, I don't know. What did you all think of that? Otherwise, that whole sequence, I really liked. I thought it was pretty good. It was a fun thing. I hadn't seen uh, that sort of train escapade on an Indiana Jones thing before. Uh, well, what'd you all think? Except for The Last Crusade. No, but that's not a train. Like, I mean, the, the beginning most of the Last Crusade, uh, where they where they has a oh, but that's young like Indiana a wild Jones. west train. That's not like in the middle of Nazi Germany, like on a bullet it's train. It's on a train, and and I think to your point, um, as you know, look, there are some things that this movie really shoots for the moon for, which is you know that sequence is quite long. It's it's probably about 20, 20, 20 minutes, minutes long. Yeah. Um, but but again, it is nowhere near as enthralling as the first 10 minutes of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, none of this movie is as enthralling as any of the first three uh, uh, right, Indiana right. Jones films. Let's yeah, yeah, put yeah. that it's, right it's, there. I think we should probably get that out of the way that's, first. But that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I, but, I think but the action cinema sucks these days, a lot of it. And like I, this was slightly up to, from a lot of the schlock that has been coming out lately. I, you know, the reason why I think it's slightly up for me is that there is a finality to it. Yeah. Which is that, which is that I... Again, I went on the journey of Indiana Jones hanging up his hat. And I think that's for me, is where the movie works, which is that it is the journey of Indiana Jones having to hang up his hat. Uh, although, you know, the last frame might say otherwise. Um, but, but, but that's, that's what the movie <laughs> No, works. that and was just for of... sex stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I figured. Marion pulled it on. Marion was actually grabbing the hat just to wear. Yeah. Um, right. but, but, yeah, you're, you're 100% correct, which is that that opening sequence is. Uh, interesting because at times it looks incredible, but at other moments, but it always feels like a video game. Like it looks like a really great video game. Felt like Uncharted, um, and yeah. I'm down for that. <laughs> so, but but not to, oh, not as engaging in any way or inventive in the ways that Spielberg pulls off the um, the, the the train at the beginning of the Last Crusade or the the tank heist or any of that stuff, because I think. The thing is, uh, Indiana Jones has always had kind of a 
Uh, an almost sort of like silent movie Buster Keaton approach to action where it's quite inventive and it's it's fun to watch and there's a kind of balletic choreography to it all. Sure. Whereas I don't know if that movie... train sequence, though, in, in Last Crusade, while wonderful, you, Buster Keaton is correct. I wouldn't call it inventive other than let's invent every backstory piece of Indiana Jones to happen in a 10-minute span. And But that's right. what's magical about it. Is, is that it he fall, Yeah, it is. He falls into a pit of snakes. And gets and his, a and chin his fear scar of snake. and gets his fashion yeah, sense. I, mm -hmm. I think all of that stuff it really plays into what Spielberg is really good at, which is that he finds he, he can make those moments sing. And I think that movie, those moments really sing. Is you know, like I don't know many filmmakers who could make that work, and he does. Um, and I don't think Mangold really even like Mangold has some big shoes to fill here because that's you know like the the challenge of of stepping into Steven Spielberg's shoes, which I wouldn't want to do at all. Um, sure. But but he you know uh, I think when he goes for this other thing that he's really good at, which is finding the pathos in these characters, that's where I think he really works. Uh, Alan, I think I interrupted you there. You were going to jump in with something here about the opening sequence, uh, the train sequence. Oh, I, I was just going to say, you know, like one of infinity things that I hated about Crystal Skull was that it, it just it bypassed what Indy was doing during World War II. Because in right. the original <laughs> trilogy, we see, you know, it's the, the late 30s, mid to late 30s, and then we've skipped to the 50s, and there's one scene in Crystal Skull where he's, like, talking to some army guys about, like, well, what were you doing in World War II? And it's just kind of, like, two lines of dialogue. But all I was thinking was, damn, I wish I could have seen that movie what was he doing during the actual war like that that would have been amazing to see and of course you know just real life and practicality we didn't see it because it had been 19 years uh so you know they had to kind of skip past it so i did at least appreciate that like okay now we're gonna see what indy was doing during the actual war itself so i thought that was cool um and just kind of you know the the degree of fan service in that like it, it kind of felt like that was that was for me in in a in a weird way like that's what i wanted to see so i i just appreciated that i did think it was a little confusing though that they didn't start the movie with you know like uh, a year and the location you know text on screen which they do in the original trilogy and especially because this movie has you know a a flashback i guess of sorts in the beginning and then you know the rest of the movie takes place in 1969 putting that in there would have helped i think right. hmm? yeah yeah Right, and uh, uh, James here, because um, even in Last Crusade, I actually noticed for the first time when I recently watched it, they don't tell you what year it is until like a minute or two in the film. So if you hadn't seen the film, you actually don't know that it's not going to be Harrison Ford. It's actually a little surprise that it's, uh, you know, young Indiana Jones. And I, I have to say for the opening of this film, 
Um, I slightly disagree with you guys. I thought the de-aging visual effects were quite good. Uh, The thing that really drew me out was the gravelly voice. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I I did think for a $300 million film, I I personally thought they did a great job um, with uh, both uh, de-aging all those actors. um, uh, But without the voice, it kind of was a little bit off. It's almost like when you see an animation that's slightly off sync with the uh, lips yeah. and it like it doesn't matter how good the visual is it like slightly takes you out of it but for the most part I thought it was cool and you know it established like why we're kind of still fighting the Nazis which is still fun for Indy <laughs> I mean I will have to say uh, for me uh, Indiana uh, Harrison Ford with his shirt off in the apartment scene was far more visually like holy shit how did he get how did this happen <laughs> you know like than, than anything in that nazi sequence um because right. dude my guy walking around with his shirt off would put every one of us to shame here i don't know how an 80 year old man looks like that just just putting it out there as well like there was kind of an that to me was kind of an amazing moment like oh it's called him. being rich <laughs> well, i mean he looked at to be being oh, rich he looked and taking at, care of yourself but having the ability and the privilege to be able to spend all that time taking care of yourself to yeah. be fair, the dude looked like that when he was 40, and he looks like that now when he's 80. And I think that's the part I'm marveling at, is that it, 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 it seems seems to have gotten bitter with age, which is not the case with, well, at least with myself anyway. Uh, I also slightly disagree with some of your thoughts on the aging in, in this film, where I thought it was quite uh, consistent because sometimes he couldn't kick ass, but sometimes he still could kick ass. And, you know, you definitely hear these stories about some, uh, you know, 24-year-old breaking into the wrong home in Florida and some 77-year-old Marine, like former <laughs> Marine, kicks his ass. And, like, yeah, th- this stuff happens. Don't fuck with a 77-year-old Marine, an 85-year-old Marine. Don't fuck with them. Don't fuck and, with the 78-year-old archaeologist. Uh, archaeology <laughs> professor. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he was, he was go, in the armed services. I will go on and say that he is an archaeologist. Uh, he's been in enough He tubes. was in the armed services. Yes. Um, uh, so, so I want to get into kind of like a, a little bit of a spoiler here because I think I want to talk about the two things that really... Well, the, okay, actually, before I do the spoiler, the one thing that I think was the cardinal sin of this movie was having Antonio Banderas in the film <laughs> and only giving him, like, five lines of dialogue and then killing... And then... Get, does he get killed off? He does oh, get killed yeah, off. He yeah, dies, yeah, yeah, he dies bad. Yeah, I, he I was off. I was heartbroken by the introduction of Antonio Banderas, Zorro himself, into this franchise and and having him, like, have barely anything to do. Question. Because of that and many other things, do we feel like this movie has gone through extensive recuts? The, 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 I, I, was, I went to go see this with friend of the show, Red, and uh, he mentioned how when this debuted at whatever festival it debuted Khan, at, it Khan, Khan, Khan. Uh, that how everyone was marveling, either loved it or hated it, about how this movie was really like a treatise on how aging indie really also like didn't like the world that he was in. Like, mm. it was a real deep-seated thing that the movie was about. It was about him com- combating the world, like, the world that he didn't like and he grew into. Yeah. Here, there was none of that. And then you also have stuff like Antonio Banderas's character, who's, like, there, says, like, five lines and gets axed, but is made to be, like, this big deal thing. Yeah, he's and, the world's greatest fr- frogman, And right? so I was, like, I was like, was there more to this, either in script form or something else, because like it seemed like such an odd move. 
It, yes, yeah. and wouldn't you like to know all the stories? You can find the cynic in me, uh, James. Here, I think that the that this uh, you could find out all the answers in the limited edition hmm. one season ten part series on Disney Plus, Ronaldo. And uh, oh. I, I, kind of the cynic in me is like, that's what they do, you know. Wait, is that in a Star thing? Wars? It's like, like Ronaldo. And, Sorry. No, I'm joking. I mean, his name is Ronaldo. <laughs> yeah. But uh, my, I mean, that's right, a right. cynic in me. That, like, they only give you a little taste of him. Like, at the end of uh, Star Wars uh, Episode Nine, like, right, Lando right. goes over to, to – and he goes, why don't we find out where you came from? And then the movie ends. It's like, right. we'll find out in the limited edition of Disney series. Right, you know, right. it's just – that's the cynic in me, that that's what all these little, like, breadcrumbs are for. As in uh, – as if uh, it had – in the end, Jones and the Last Crusade came out today, there's this mysterious man in the prologue and beginning of the film, a man in a white suit that we know is a really big deal, but we never find out about him. There is no way that there wouldn't be some kind of money squeezed out of finding out who that guy is. I think... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I think, though, the the, you're 100% right about them just constantly doing that. I think the limited run series, uh, for everything, honestly, but maybe Star Wars, those Star Wars about 50-50, is really wearing thin. I've said on this podcast a few times, uh, Secret Invasion uh, for Marvel is one of my favorite stories in the comic books. Uh, I couldn't imagine them making a more boring series. Like, (laughs) it is, is, I couldn't, I I thought this wasn't going to be good, but it was. That series is so painfully fucking boring for a uh, supposed to be like a spy intrigue story. And they make Nick Fury the most milquetoast boring dude on the planet. And like, so my point is, my point is, all of the, I think they're, they're waning, I'm hoping anyway, that these limited series, these hints and these things are waning down because I don't think they're getting the viewership that they want them to. Well, and we should point out that this I think is we're also, in for a lot more. <laughs> yeah, this is, I think it's cold capitalism, and we ain't gonna stop it. Um, yeah. But, but, but I also think you know we should point out that the the ownership of Indiana Jones has gone from Paramount, yeah, um, or, or always owned by Lucasfilm, but then Lucasfilm was acquired by Disney, and of course this this trend that we're talking about here, where uh, like a, a, something that may not be explained could be explained in a miniseries, uh, is a Disney phenomenon uh, recently, of course. So uh, it has to do with that ownership change and that model change and you know bob Iger at the helm of, of making sure that this is a everlasting property but the, the, the thing that i think is interesting there is again thinking back to james mangold with uh logan mm-hmm. which is that he came into logan you know uh, the second x uh the second uh x-men wolverine movie that he had directed with a sort of mandate either um personally assigned or studio assigned to end that character and did it very definitively and and I what I like about this film is that I you know if we get, if we go to a pure ranking system, I felt that this basically erased the taste of taste of the uh, kingdom of the crystal skull for me, which is that I I felt like okay if this is the you know like crystal skull kind of left me going why did we do that, and this left me going okay we've done that now it's not it's certainly uh, of the original trilogy it would be the worst uh you know the the fourth it would come after those first three movies um 
but it's better than the Crystal Skull, and it definitively ends the character. And I think, again, there was two parts of this that I really liked, and I want to get into the spoilers a little bit, one of which could be described as kind of um, almost uh, the sort of retconning of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where Mutt, uh, who was played by Shia LaBeouf in, in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, is, is, has passed away because he, uh, out of spite, signed up for the Vietnam War. Um, and was killed during the war. And in many ways, that's a sort of an easy retcon of Mutt, of Mutt because he was, wasn't a beloved character. It's almost like Poochie in The Simpsons. Yes. Uh, he's off to save his, you know, his, uh, uh, to, to, to back to his home planet. Um, right. but, but the way that it actually ties into Indy's story about regret and time really kind of uh, worked for me. And you know, allowed Harrison Ford to kind of stretch, stretch a little bit with the Indiana Jones character. And when he delivers that monologue, because it comes in the context of Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character um, asking him, where would you go to if you could choose? And he says it would be before Mutt left because I wouldn't let him go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what it kind of plants the seed of is that Indiana Jones, you know, like, like you were saying, uh, Matt, uh, that Red pointed out, you know, sort of was, did have a lot of deep regret for the way society had turned and the way his, his life had turned out. He is now divorced with Marion. It kind of just seeds all of that really beautifully to the final moment, which I know controversially, I think most of the audience kind of hates them actually time traveling to see Archimedes. But in the context of knowing what he really wanted, I actually quite liked that scene. How did you guys feel about this movie when it takes a giant leap into the past. I was kind of surprised by it, I think for one main reason, and that was a kind of throwaway line in the beginning. I think it's in the uh, the de-age scene um, where um, uh, Mads Mikkelsen says, uh, this, isn't, this isn't magic, this is math. This is arithmetic. And I kind of felt like what the, the movie was sort of laying out there was all right we're not doing religious stuff we're not doing magic stuff we're doing stuff that is actually going to be you know based in real fact Mm -hmm. and i was like okay you've got my attention here i'm interested how are you gonna play that how are you gonna go down that road and then once they started talking about time fishers i'm like Okay, but now we're in sci-fi world. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I just felt like there was kind of like a bait and switch there mm-hmm. of, you know, I was expecting it to be like this very grounded, realistic thing because they had that line early in the movie. So then I was kind of felt like I, I just kind of felt like it was a little bit of a bait and switch. And so that kind of irked me a little bit. And you know, b- before he goes back to, you know, this battle of Syracuse, the 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 plan is, you know, he wants to go back. Um, uh, Mads Michelson, he wants to go back to kill Hitler. And, you know, I, I, I thought at first I'm like, hold on a second. Are they going to go back in time? And then Indiana Jones is going to have to save Hitler because <laughs> I, I, I don't want to see that. Like, you know, like I get it. That, would that be th- a morally interesting quandary. For him, right? it, like, it would be right. Yeah. And like that, that could lead to all kinds of really fascinating <laughs> questions. And like, yeah, if Voler is worse and then he would win world war two, then like, yeah, Hitler, yeah. I guess would be the better option, but I don't want to see Indiana Jones save Hitler. I, I just, <laughs> nobody wants to see that. Right. Uh, I actually, you know, uh, 
Alan, I actually hadn't even considered that that could be a potential story outcome, which is that he would have to save Hitler in order to win the war. I, 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 I think, oddly, I think that's kind of great. Right? Like, I mean, like, I think that's kind of great. I think it's great narratively as a structure, as like a, a brainworm kind of thing. I yeah, think yeah. in 2023, that plot line would be taken <laughs> so fucking out of context that we yeah. never goddamn hear the end of it. Yeah. Yep. But Definitely. It would, it would just, Absolutely. I just think it's a really There's... interesting interesting thing to posit, though, which is that, you know, Mads Mikkelsen's character would be worse than Hitler. And therefore, Indy has to save Hitler. I, I just had not clocked that as an idea. Uh, because the film, as you say, uh, because of the continental drift, um, does not right. even go down that road. Uh, what an interesting yeah, idea. Yeah, and I mean, for me, uh, I, Archimedes is a, a very famous mathematician and famous for uh, his most famous Eureka. thing uh, is you know, uh, uh, Eureka and also the lever. Give me a lever large enough and I can move the earth. Right. And uh, I mean, he's a mathematician, and I thought that the uh, MacGuffin that they were going to find uh, was going to be uh, something like, uh, uh, you know, Archimedes discovered something, and they wound up destroying, you know, it gets destroyed like the cup, but, you know, they don't wind up recovering it because, you know, obviously they can't really bring his sci-fi stuff into the world. But I was surprised, not just at the time travel, but have any of you guys ever heard of the Antikythera mechanism? Because this is not a made-up MacGuffin for this movie. Right. Have any of you guys ever heard of it? I've heard I of it. Know, yeah, don't know no. much about it. So it, it's uh, the, my, my degree that the in middle, ancient Middle Eastern studies. So like I discovered that. I, I, so you're the an Indiana Jones mechanism, style character. It, it, <laughs> this was cool, but um, I like the ancient Mediterranean world. And um, you, anyone could Google it uh, the, after they listen to this podcast. If they but, can spell uh, it. The Antikythera mechanism. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get close enough. Google will p- fix it for you. It's a real gear-like device that was found in like the Adriatic Sea. And it really is more advanced than anything. It's, it's an analog computer. And the best idea uh, is that it kind of like you could set it to know like where the stars will be uh, like depending on the time of year and it's a very advanced thing but it's completely rusted and there's like there there is like a little chunk of it i just thought it was somewhat interesting that they just said oh this thing let's just pretend it's completely like ka-ching like two parts like 2000 <laughs> years old well 2500 years old which is like slide into place so precise that it could like measure rifts in time uh, just to me I, I thought like why call it the antikythera mechanism just call it something else which is not archimedes either right. so i just thought it was kind of like someone like went through wikipedia and like just kind of like put a couple things <laughs> together to, to your point Alan, so i well. thought that for the MacGuffin. To, to your point, Alan, as well, uh, it, it it's interesting because in the in the Indiana Jones mythos, often the MacGuffin turns out to be not just real but also significant to the actual plot line, which is different to the way a MacGuffin tends to operate in, say, Hitchcock movies. You know, the the, the MacGuffin of the Grail is an important factor in the story, in the actual story. The MacGuffin of the Ark of the Covenant is an important factor in the story. Even in Crystal Skull, the Crystal Skull is an alien skull, um, you know, and um, uh, so, so the, in this world, the, the MacGuffins actually matter. But to your point, to what you just said, um, James, as well, it's interesting that the film posits is that they need to follow the trajectory of the object not the trajectory of Archimedes' mathematics. Like, they're not like, 
uncovering how Archimedes solved the problem and following his mathematics, they're following like, well, he created this tool, therefore the tool is the most important thing. Like the tool, and, and I think to your point, Alan, it's sort of suggesting that the tool is magical in some way. But what the film yeah. and Mads Mikkelsen is saying at the beginning is the tool isn't magical. Archimedes devising the tool is 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 the critical part here. And if the movie was in any way invested in the story, it would be about them going to the library and figuring out what the mathematics of it was that allowed Archimedes to create the device and figure out where these time fishes are going to be. Because the tool itself is not magical unlike the Ark of the Covenant or the Holy Grail or the Crystal Skull or the stones in um, Temple of Doom, right? It's a really interesting sort of dynamic that, they, that they've decided to kind of go with here. Right. You know, it's kind of like I the really best of both worlds, about. right? Like that, that, that's kind of what they want. They want the best of both worlds where it's real but also magic. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, as, as you I point really out, it's not magic. It's just, it's just giving you coordinates. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, one thing I really loved about the time travel aspect, uh, it, actually, it was a, a great line. And Archimedes, of course, is this character we have not met. We, you know, people may have heard of him, and maybe they they mentioned him for a moment earlier in the film, and they mentioned him, I guess, a couple times. But um, I love that he instantly goes to the to Indiana Jones and, and his whole crew, and he goes, uh, "How far have you come from?" Right. Like he instantly knows you're part of this whole time thing. And I really like that. And Indy, uh, he, he leans to Archimedes and I thought he was going to say something because I instantly started thinking of something earlier. Uh, there's a Nazi plane that crashes into mm. the uh, city of Syracuse like on the island of Sicily in like 220 BC. And I really thought that Indiana Jones was going to say to Archimedes, who instantly knows these people from the future, I thought he was going to say, you need to have your men bring that uh, steel dragon and dump it in the ocean because <laughs> – Archaeologists cannot find a Nazi plane on the island of Sicily. And I thought an archaeologist would think of that. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to criticize that they didn't go where I was thinking, but I thought it was very even, – even the fact that there was a gunner like shooting people, there's going to be Nazi soldiers. They find bones. They find uh, – I mean you right. find like uh, swords and you'd find bullets that are like 2,500 years old. I just thought that was interesting. I, 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 I – um, uh, as kind of a little time paradox. The but, great uh, thing about uh, this it's, movie, it's still cool. The great thing about this movie is it's it it starts a lot of interesting questions mm. and then never finishes them. It just moves <laughs> on to the next thing. And I say that as a sort of a sideways compliment or a mini burn, but it's so consistent in that pacing and in that style of storytelling that I don't even give a shit. Like I, the the time travel when the time travel hit. I thought when they when we thought that they were going to go back to Germany and have the whole Hitler thing, uh, I was like, oh, God, fucking really? And then the Continental Shift, the Drift thing was cool. And then when they actually went back to the battle, I was so flush with happiness. Not that it wasn't a silly, dumb story beat, but that, like, this is the weird thing. It's so true in this world that these films have set up that Indiana Jones would fucking lose his shit if yeah. he got to go back in time. And he does. And, and like, it's weird to say I felt joy for a fictitious character. 
But this is like the best possible thing that can happen to this man who we've seen throughout the course of this film has basically lost everything. Right. Uh, including including at this point uh, his job and uh, his his son, his wife, his job and his possible freedom because he's framed for murder. Like right. <laughs> it was like it was such a like, yeah, this is dumb as fuck. But I'm so happy that Indiana Jones gets to witness the Battle of Syracuse that I didn't give a shit. Like, and there's it like uh, James to your point, all of the archaeological things like that. Like, there's no reason the story couldn't have had that plane crash into the ocean, where at least then the people in Syracuse wouldn't have found it. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But they, but they don't care. They don't care about any of that stuff throughout the entire movie. So I wasn't really bucked when when that sort of happened. You're right. And and, and that is right. actually the and thing that actually really landed for me was Indy staying, like looking at the Battle of Syracuse and, and realizing that this was the thing he wanted the most. And I thought about that in context of the entire franchise, which is that often cases... Indy doesn't really want the thing that yep. they're chasing. Yep. In the you know, he doesn't really want He doesn't give a shit. He doesn't, he doesn't want the, the, the whole you know, the, the the holy grail. Put it in the museum. He doesn't want the stones. Yeah. You right. know, like he doesn't want the crystal uh, the crystal skull. He never wants these things. It's just that he knows how to get them. And this is the first time I think in the entire franchise where he wants something specifically, which is to you know to stay here, and he is like you said, he's primed his whole life. He studied his entire life to learn what these moments are, and now he gets to experience them. And what I thought was really touching there again, I, I think Phoebe Waller Bridge's character um, is in many ways kind of Mutt 2.0, you know, like but a much better version. She's, she's essentially now instead of the daughter, she's the goddaughter. She's kind of rascally you know like in terms of like she's willing to sell out uh her principles despite knowing a lot of the history of the objects that she's searching for but willing to sell them uh i, I didn't think it was kind of like a home run in terms of this character like really understanding that but you know because she kind of at some point she just i'm willing to sell this thing and at other points i'm willing to like go along with finding the the the, the device or whatever you i think um, helena phoebe waller bridge's character is the linchpin that makes this whole fucking thing work I think she's, like I say, I think, you know, it's interesting. Also, She's a mentioned... combination of every side character in Indiana yeah. Jones into one character. It's interesting. Yeah, it's a best of mentioned... both worlds thing again. Yeah. Yeah. The original Frank Darabont script for uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull didn't have Mutt in it uh, at all. And Matt Singer over at Screen Crush has a um, unearthed or, you know, reread that script. And apparently it's it's quite good. Um, but, but Mutt was an addition that was kind of added in later, much like Poochie. Um, and, and I think, you know, like, uh, again, uh, Helena's character is sort of like the updated better version of that. And it kind of works, but she recognizes in that moment that there is something for him to go home to. And then we do get this touching scene with him and Marion, which kind of replays the boat scene from, uh, from Raiders as well. And yeah. I, I, like, again, as a sort of treatise about a man who's lost everything, doesn't really feel like he has much to go back to and then goes back and, and finds that there is something to go back to. I think the film kind of worked for me in that level. <laughs> that end scene, though, I understand. Look, again, the whole thing is doing a, a five-step program in two steps consistently throughout the entire movie. That whole thing... <laughs> 
because uh, basically, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character, side note, I think her as an actor is what makes the character Helena special, not really how Helena's written. Like, I yeah, feel like it, that, like... It's a it's a miss. It's a, yeah. it's a bit of a mishmash. But, but yeah. like, so she basically punches out Indiana Jones against his will, drags him back to his time to throw him in his shitty apartment again because she thinks that he should reconcile, I guess, with his wife for some reason that she's not terribly close with. And then when when Marion comes back, other than for plot reasons, and by plot reasons I mean this is the point in the plot when Marion comes back, she says, I hear you're back. Are you back? And yeah. the correct answer would be, what the fuck do you mean? No, I got dragged away <laughs> from, like, what I wanted to be. You know what? Sure, fine. This yeah. is how the movie needs to end. Like, and again, I'm saying all this as a criticism. I don't care. I yeah. liked it. <laughs> like, it is poor storytelling, but it is such a, like, it's a victory lap in a way for this character where it's like, and now's the part where his marriage is fixed. Why? Right. How did he grow? Uh, uh, he kind of wanted to die in a place that he loved. He was dragged away, so now he can't. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, like, it doesn't make sense, but because we've been with these characters, that's what we want, and this movie gets us there, but it teleports us much like a time-traveling dial. It, so, it, yeah, go ahead. So, so if this wasn't an Indiana Jones movie, right? If it, If it's the same basic thing, but it's, you know, some other character then do we want him to stay back in the past where he will be happy because then we don't need to see him come back and need to see him with marion and maybe that makes a little bit more sense but because it's the fifth and final film then we kind of need to have that coming full circle moment we need to have the call back to the 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 boat on raiders and, and all of that or, or do we? I don't know. I'm, well, I'm asking. What do you guys think? I would say no. I mean, I, I think, I mean, sure, if it's a different character, it can be whatever. It could work either way. I think it could work either way in this way. I think it would have been, I think if given enough story time to bake, having him die in Syracuse is a perfect ending for Indiana Jones. And you can have a button back in the other time of like uh, Helena going to the site. And like finding uh, his his hat. whip or some shit, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. like, and you could have that moment where she knows that he's okay and where he is where he belongs. Granted, I think there might have need to have been a little bit of structure built along the way for that payoff to work. But Definitely. like, I almost I am also sick of the trope of like, oh, and now the relationship happens. Mm. Like yeah. like Indiana Jones, I think is more than his relationship with Marion, uh, uh, Marion. Uh, so like, I, I I don't know. Like I it again. I wasn't mad at it, but it's bad writing. <laughs> yeah. For me, uh, some of the callbacks didn't really work as well. Um, I was excited to see Sala come back. He was in the first and third films. But, uh, I mean, he was fine. There was nothing wrong with him. And John Rhys-Davis, is, he's a fantastic actor. I, I don't think his character did much. No. But I have to say the uh, the Marion callback, uh, the, you know, where does it hurt? And everywhere, everywhere that uh, Indiana Jones pointed to in Raiders, she kissed. And then it was the reverse in uh, this film. I thought that was a very sweet, uh, the, you know, that, that sure. was a good closing for me. Um, and I think Marion was used exactly as much as she should have been used in this film. I thought they could have overused Karen Allen. I, you know, I understand. I, you know, I feel bad for the actress that she's had little screen time, but I thought it was a good bookend. I'm not too upset that they kind of gave uh, Mutt the Poochie treatment because <laughs> I think if they ignored it completely, that would be like 
But why is Nehemiah mentioning his son at yeah. all? He's not talking about him at all. And it gave us the most emotional point in the movie. Yeah, and you know the one-liner about it. So that that, that was that was good. I, I also have to say though. Um, I I haven't said it yet, but Mads Mikkelsen, he he's so good. I mean, he's good in everything, but I think he's really good as a as a Nazi. <laughs> I mean, this is not the, the first time he's so played a Nazi. Creepy. He's no. Hannibal. I uh, he's Hannibal. I yeah. mean, he's the he's like the best James Bond villain in thirty years. Uh, I mean, the guy is so good in, in like everything he does, and he, he was fantastic in Rogue One. You know, playing uh, you know a slightly uh, you know against uh, trope. But uh, I love him. He's a great actor. You know, who, to say. you know who else was wasted in this movie was Boyd Holbrook. Yeah. yeah uh, I don't know if you've watched Sandman. He plays the Corinthian in that he's, show. He's good oh. in that. He fucking steals every goddamn scene he's in. And this, I get it, like, from a balanced perspective of energies, you kind of don't want someone in his role of, like, henchman number one to take over, like, the yeah. scene. But at that point, I was like, "Why are you using Boyd Holbrook? Like, use use a generic guy. Like, who? Like, I just I was expecting a lot more because of his previous performances, and I just was like, oh, okay, cool.'" Honestly, I thought he was almost the identical character to his character in James Mangold's Logan. Yeah, uh, he's right, basically right. the guy that goes toe to toe with him. He's yeah. the second in command, basically. Yeah, and uh, kind of, you know one of the biggest guys. And uh, he's a cool guy. He's he's a real real cool uh, actor. I hope he gets a real good. Uh, he could be a leading man if he gets the right right role. Yeah, there's an interesting thing as well with the other henchman who's like you know like nine foot tall or something like that who's huge. Oliver Richards. Who yeah. does get murdered at the end of this by a little by kid. a child <laughs> by a child? Which I was uh, also uh, it's da- uh, not data uh, short round volume two, right? Yeah, even Isadora's yeah. Teddy. Yeah, yeah, yes. it, it was very much. A, yeah, uh, you know there is an element to this movie of playing the heads. I, Alan, I think the question that you asked, which is that if this wasn't Indiana Jones, would this story make sense? And I and I I think you've raised a really good point here, which is that. This movie is, is, for me, successful in closing out the franchise, but is it a successful movie on its own terms? No, I'm not entirely sure that it is. And, you know, there's a big chunk of it in the middle uh, where the chase sequences are essentially like, we've got to go from this place to this place to get this thing. Uh-oh, here are the Nazis. Let's go from this place to this place to this next place. Uh-oh, here are the Nazis, and, you know, so far and so forth. They got old real quick. They, they yeah, should have yeah. done different action sequences other than three of the exact same chase scenes in different yeah, locations. It, it really, I found that, it, like, that was where my, you know, like, kind of, um, weariness of the movie was kind of coming to play. That's the where thing- the age came in for me. Because I was like, we can't have Harrison Ford do a bunch of jumps and punches and running. He's not Tom Cruise fucking running through the desert in Mission Impossible. Like, they needed to throw him in vehicles. Right, yeah. yeah. Or, or the yeah, horse. Which is not I like that the horse. horse. I, I, liked, I liked his New York ch- horse chase sequence. The thought, horse yeah. scene is so fucking like mishmashed and convoluted it's it's a space day parade but also a protest and yeah. like it it's i was it, you know we're all new york folks uh or have been have been there uh like uh, just to think about that in the terms of mechanics again <laughs> the movie is consistent in all of its inconsistencies so but that was just such a nonsense moment 
For for me, that was at least one reminds where me. I was interested by the chase itself. Whereas mm. when they were in Morocco, was it Morocco? Sure, doing the sort of uh, the the trike chases. I was I was kind of I I, didn't they do that, that in like nine yeah. countries? Yeah, I clocked yeah. out at that point. Yeah, um, I thought but, the chases were too long and too many. I agree with you guys. And, and 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 just sort of, you know, again, if you think about the original franchise, um, the death of the big guy by the, you know, by the propeller blade. Is, mm-hmm. is a moment that kind of like is itched into your brain, you know, in some way. There's Definitely. no moment. There's no moments like that in in this movie where anything will be itched into your brain or sort of thought about for for a long period of time. Um, right, I, Alan. I do think you know because I I I felt knit positive about this movie, but I think thinking about your question about putting it through the prism of whether it's a franchise or whether it's a movie unto itself. I think does lean me a little bit nit negative because of where the story beats are nonsensical or sort of convenient for the sake of uh, of like just wrapping up. I think on an emotional level, though, I liked seeing the finality of the story in terms of like this at least for me cleansed the palate of Kingdom Crystal Skull and said to me, "We don't need to do this more." And it, like, let's think about Harrison Ford. The only um, the only franchise he hasn't officially closed out yet is the Jack Ryan franchise. He's he's killed himself off in Star Wars. He will no longer appear in Blade Runner, and he is uh, in in this particular film closed out the Indiana Jones chapter. So the only one we we're, we're not we haven't done is the Jack Ryan, or potentially I would love to see him come back as Doctor Richard Kimball for some reason. Um, <laughs> I want to see Air Force Two. No, that's uh, I was gonna say he's actually uh, said he's gonna come back for an Air Force One sequel. Oh, is he? Well, that's been it's been it's been rumored, but you know, there's the, who, who knows. How old is President Biden, by the way? He's, he's eighty, right? He is eighty, so yeah, that kind of that that, that makes sense, right? Um, <laughs> I just yeah. want it to be called Air Force One, comma T O O. Air Force One. Two. I mean, I doubt one, he'll yeah. still be president. I doubt he would still be president. No, he changes the later. Constitution and he run. He he's right. elected for. It's actually the beginning of the Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. timelines. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the twist is that they have to kill him because he's the evil one because he's been president for thirty years. Indiana now. Jones right. has to go forward in time right. to kill himself exactly. as president. Um. um exactly. Well, you, you know, but what, what you were saying, Shahir, that you kind of thought that the movie worked better as the closing out of the franchise. I think when I think back on it, I think that to me, Dial of Destiny sort of works better as not an Indiana Jones movie. And okay. I think that's I, it's sort of like the, the inverse of what you said. And I think part of that is just colored by my bias which i know is there and i'm trying to work past but i i it, it's really tough for me to get over it which is that last crusade ended his story yeah and it, it really in, did in such in such a definitive way and and you know for i mean 20 years like it, it was 19 years before there was another indiana jones movie and you know the books and the young you know indiana jones series i i enjoyed those but those were all prequels and things so the, the there was such a finality to that yeah. that opening it up again and then making this other final chapter which by the way was crystal skull that was what it was supposed to be and then right. waiting another 15 years to open it up yet again for yet another final chapter 
to me, it's just been like, you know, even kind of separate from the narrative in the movies, just like the real world stuff for me as a person, I'm like, okay, we've already said goodbye. And then we've said goodbye again. And now we're saying goodbye again. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of like the first goodbye. I thought that first yeah. goodbye was pretty sweet. And it's not that this goodbye is bad. Cause I, 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 I agree with what you're saying in terms of the emotion and the closure and, you know, putting it to bed in a nice way. I, I do agree with you that all of that works. I think just I had some kind of fatigue of saying goodbye to Indiana Jones, you know? Makes you know what? I, I think you're 100% correct, which is that the finality of The Last Crusade is a far classier end to this franchise. It, you know, because it, it isn't even ending in, in a point where his adventures aren't going on. It's saying right. there, there may be more adventures here, but this is what we're, you know, we're done with this character yeah. and he's off to lead a beautiful life and, and we don't need to see any more of him. And that, you're, you're 100% correct. It's kind of like, in many ways, Die Hard as well, which is like, man, yeah. if they just finished that with, a, you know, Die Hard with a Vengeance, we'd be so, we'd be talking about that franchise forever. But, but we just had to come back to it and we had to do it again and again and again really badly. And, and they just never quite reached that high. I, I do agree with you that Last Crusade... Uh, you know, if we were to do a kind of a ranking of this, Last Crusade still for me uh, stands tall as the best of the the, the three. Uh, I I kind of I understand that Raiders holds an important you know part as cultural history uh, history and film history, but but I put Temple of Doom slightly higher because of my personal uh, response to that film, even though I know it's deeply problematic. And then it would be Raiders, and then Dial of Destiny. So. To, to sort of heap praise on the fourth best of five is, is, is not high praise at all. Four out of four ain't bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it also sort of kind of makes me think of like finality in pop culture in general. And this is kind of like a esoteric topic, yeah. but like, you know, every time a band goes on their farewell tour, mm. it's bullshit, right? Like, right. It, it's just, it's bullshit. Like, I just got a, a thing the other day about, like, go see the Eagles on their farewell tour. Like, I remember their farewell tour <laughs> 15 years ago. Yeah. And, like, they're all, like, you know, half of them are dead or have left the band. Like, what what are we doing anymore? And anytime something ends... Did it really? Like, yeah. has this really ended? And I mean, they, they've been asking um, Harrison Ford and Phoebe Waller-Bridge and like everyone who's been in this movie. So would you come back? Yeah, it's the last one. But I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe. But I you, like money. Right, exactly. It's you know, capitalism. I, Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the Eagles. The Eagles were in it yeah. for the long run. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, look. Uh, stories are only good because they end like right and and we're in a world now where they don't uh often and yeah. i i think i think we need endings again i know it took three tries but i think indiana jones <laughs> is at least ended for a while uh harrison ford at least as the character specifically i don't think he'll be back Right, I, it, it you know, I, I slightly disagree with the. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. 
you know, I slightly disagree with the, uh, the depiction of Indy 4 as a goodbye because Indy 3, uh, absolutely, they literally ride off into the sunset. But strangely, Indy 4 ends with the wedding of Marion and Mutt is standing by the aisle and Indy's hat falls off. Mutt reaches down to pick it up and he's going to put it on his head as the perfect passing of the torch. And Indy grabs it and is like, nope, I'm still Indy. And then it ends. And almost as if like, no, it's not the end. It's like Indy's adventures continue. And uh, so I thought the, the fifth film more had a reason to exist because it's really like... Uh, first of all, what would happen to a real old indie, not just for comic relief, but really end of life indie. And since indie is really fun to battle Nazis better better than you know Soviets, I thought it was a really clever way to put Nazis back because it's a real thing called Operation Paperclip, where the uh, the Allies stole all of the uh, Nazi scientists and the Soviets stole all the Nazi scientists that they could, and that's why we both had space programs because they're right. all German scientists. Our our, our guy was uh, Werner von Braun, and mm-hmm. von Braun was a Nazi. He made the V two rocket. Like, had he had six more months, this would have reached London, and then you know. It, game over for maybe World War II. Like, the, the movie had a reason to exist. Um, I thought you, you made a fantastic... Uh, who, who made the... Uh, it was fantastic, I did it. Ar- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was you, Matt, I think, because you made the point of uh, an archaeologist getting to see... Uh, the past. It's the same way that Henry Jones Jr. Uh, seeing mm-hmm. that night, Indiana Jones didn't care really he didn't that he saw a knight. The yeah, moment he Henry saw did. him, yeah, he yeah. wasn't like, oh my God, a knight from the Crusades. He was like, hey, you get out of my way. I need to get this cup. Uh, but, uh, you know, seeing Archimedes, and he even turns to Helena is like, oh my God, we're really here. Uh, yeah. I thought uh, Helena was a decent enough character, but um, Teddy was only there for one plot point to <laughs> to steal a, an object at one point. It didn't really advance it that to much. But I, I think, yeah, 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 yeah it's, it's a plot point. And I think it also, uh, so here you make a really good ep- a good point that it does put a better taste in uh, in, in the mouth of, uh, of fans because uh, Indy 4 becomes, you know, it's not a great episode. Even if the, I loved parts of it, but mm. uh, it's not a great episode. It's like Next Generation, great series. There's some, yeah, you could skip a few parts here. You know, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, that, that's a lot of fun. But uh, skip a, a Good Luck Charlie, you know, right. that, that, that song. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's a bad part of it. So I'm glad they did it. And I have to say, guys, I have said this, uh, I haven't said it this episode, and I have said it every single time you've been on my podcast. I think you guys have the greatest podcast <laughs> title in the history of podcast titles. It's my favorite one. I kind of giggle every time I hear the only podcast <laughs> movies. So uh, it, it's fantastic. Again, I, I just want to plug it again for your listeners listening to your own podcast. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, Alan, any final thoughts on, uh, on Indiana Jones now that it's definitively but maybe not coming back. Yeah, uh, <laughs> definitively uh, the final movie until, um, you know, I, I, I think that part of me will always consider the original Indiana Jones trilogy to be the <coughs> Indiana Jones story. And then, 
you know, Crystal Skull, I can completely forget about and write off as, you know, just this thing that whatever. And this movie as sort of like an, an asterisk, you know, like it, it's part of the, the story as like, you know, an interesting coda. But, you know, I, I don't need it. I, I think that. It, it was fine. I had a good time watching it. And, you know, rewatching all of the movies and talking about the movies has been really fun. And I got my kids excited to to watch them and, and to come out to see um, Dial of Destiny. And we saw Raiders, uh, you know, uh, what was it, a month and a half ago, whatever, when they had it re-released. And that was really fun. But, yeah, I mean, to me, it's just like, okay, this was a, a good movie that I'm probably not going to really think about much mm. in the future i'm not probably gonna revisit it i don't know why i would as opposed to raiders temple of doom last crusade which i will always forever hold on this pedestal of yeah. just the you know the these wonderful amazing adventures that i loved watching and could watch over and over and over again this movie was fine and okay you know they they wanted to uh close out the character uh it seems like you know, Harrison Ford made a ton of money. I hope the rest of the actors did. I hope it was some big paydays for people. I, I guess it was, uh, I guess it's considered a flop, right? Because it didn't make enough money. You know, $60 million opening weekend is very good for most movies, but not this one. Cause it's like, you know, one of the most expensive movies ever made. And then yeah. in week two, it was beaten by insidious part 17 or whatever. Mm. So like, you know, I, I I think that maybe maybe that's a sign of like, you know, like Indiana Jones is time traveling in the movie and, you know, it kind of works, maybe kind of doesn't. Maybe we don't need to time travel and go back and like pluck out all of these franchises and characters that we've already said goodbye to decades ago mm-hmm. and just say goodbye to them again because maybe it will be profitable that's capitalism uh, you know like the, yeah. the, there's there's some meta commentary in there that i don't think i've completely nailed but you know like there, there's something in there it was fine i'm glad i saw it i'm glad um you know that i, I don't i don't know that i'm glad that the movie exists i i don't know i mean it's fine whatever but um <laughs> i i don't know i it, i i guess i feel I guess I feel kind of like ambivalent towards it. And sure. I, I don't know if I'm fully articulating that, but like. It, I would say movie... what you're articulating is ambivalence, like pretty clear ambivalence. Okay. All right. Well, then, then good then. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that's my final thought. It's kind of like a shrug of like, okay, you know, whatever. The, the, the next time I want to say goodbye to Indy, I'm going to put on Last Crusade, but Sure. And Alan, I hate to break it to you. The next time you're going to say goodbye to Indy is when, in 2027, a short round uh, Helena movie comes out. And uh, <laughs> then you, they're going to be like going to his funeral or some shit. Like, it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. You're probably right. I mean, right. the only way it wouldn't, and I, I know people are calling this a flop. And yes, like in the terms of what, what studios expect to make back, how quickly on a $300 million movie, and it made only, I think, through the international box office to 250 at this point. Like, it's going to make its money back, but it's not going to make all the money. And so who knows what lesson they're going to take from that. Maybe it's a we shouldn't do an adventure movie starring an 80-year-old. 
maybe. like uh or maybe it's we yeah. don't keep going back to the well but they're gonna keep fucking doing that yeah, so like sure. yeah well i I recently saw uh, an article that talks about how Steven Spielberg uh, predicted about 10 years ago this exact scenario where he said there's going to be a year because of a combination of ever elevating uh, studio budgets for these huge blockbusters and increasing ticket prices that mm-hmm. kind of price out someone bringing their whole family to the theater for the night. Uh, you know, you guys with kids know how much like, wow, a whole family going to the theater can cost a shitload of money. Uh, he predicted that it's going to be a year that there's going to be, you know, half a dozen big flops and it's going to completely change the paradigm he didn't even predict covid and you know its effect and streaming and stuff and you know this year we have shazam and uh and uh the the, the, the transformers well transformer may have been done okay but you have the flash and you have indiana jones and you have a lot of films that uh you know i thought were going to do very well uh you know conventional wisdom would say michael keaton's back as batman i mean yeah. That's obviously, you know, going to be a moneymaker. And, you know, it may not be there. You know, who knows if these uh, they're really going to have to reevaluate some of these, you know, 200 million dollar budgets. If it's not directed by James Cameron, <laughs> the sequels of the number one and number two films ever, maybe don't do it. If it's not, you know, the end of a Marvel series or something. Yeah. Even then, you know, you had Ant-Man and Quantumania. That wasn't a big hit either. Yeah. Shahir, take us home, buddy. What are your fi- my final thoughts are basically like I like this movie. It's cool that it existed. It's fine. It doesn't do anything. And Indiana Jones is still wanted for murder. Shahir, what uh, <laughs> what what was your final thoughts on this film? I, I think I'm in agreement with everything I've said here, which is that uh, the Last Crusade is really the definitive closing chapter. And if we could think of it that way, then there is no need for um, uh, Dial of Destiny to exist. But as it does exist right now. Uh, it, it sort of cleanses the palate. I remember, our, I recall our conversation with um, Patrick Willems where we talked about legacy quills um, and we talked sort of about like playground conclusions, you know, things like Toy Story 4, The Matrix Resurrection. Um, and in many ways, this kind of fits into that same category as well, which is that it it opens this door for like evaluate reevaluating the mythology of Indiana Jones himself. You know, uh, suge- it suggests that there's this man who is out of time. And I think for the first, and it does some things really well. Um, like for example, for the first time in the franchise, showing us something that Indiana really wants for himself. Um, but on its own terms as a movie, uh, it is not the most successful thing in the world. And, and you know, if we could just leave well enough known, uh, we would. But it's called capitalism, and there's nothing we can do about it. And that's what yeah. it's going to be. Well, there you go. This has been the only podcast about the film Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Alan, James, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us about this fourth fourth entry into the <laughs> Indiana Jones franchise. When you are not gracing us with your presence, where can folks find you? Oh, well, you can find us on our website, which is testoftimepod.com. That's where you can find all of our back episodes, including our episode about Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade with you, lovely gentlemen. Uh, also, our episode about the movie The Paper with you, lovely yeah, gentlemen. Yeah, that's Even right. Better. Uh-huh. Also, you know our episode else you can with find The us. Sorcerer, or Sorcerer uh, with you guys. Uh-huh. Yeah. Where else? You know where else you can find us, uh, Alan? This is exciting. You can find us on Threads. Oh, wow. wow. You guys made the leap. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we, we got a Threads now. 
Um, I, I don't really know what I'm doing over there, but yeah, and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. We are at Test of Time Pod. Uh, hit us up, talk to us. Uh, we follow us. You know, we'll we post our new episodes, and uh, yeah, check us out. Yeah, your, your your show's great. You've been doing you've been doing the podcast game roughly around the same amount of time we have, right? Like, uh, I feel like I feel like we uh, for whatever that pathing. what was that? We're parallel paths. Twenty eighteen yeah, or twenty seventeen. Are aligned. Our dials are d- d- destinic. Um, <laughs> yeah, 2016. Uh, actually, we started. We've been 16, going for wow. for a long time. Seven seven years. New new episode every week. Yeah, yeah. Same. You're you and I. We're all on this weird, dumb path of whatever this is. Uh, but I love it. And <laughs> and uh, you guys do a really good show. So everyone, please go check that out. Uh, also, Shahir, thank you. When when you are not. Um, uh, hiding uh, archaeological archaeological artifacts away from your next of kin, uh, as to protect them from themselves. Where can folks find you? You can find me hoarding everything away at my museum of a website at www.shahirdaud.com. That's S H A H I R D A U D. Matt, when you are riding a horse between 42nd and 55th, 59th Street, where can people find you? You can find me using the Dial of Destiny for its true purpose, getting around Manhattan over at my website, M A T T H E W K R O L dot com, my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P R E Z on Instagram and PSN. And of course, Emperor MSK on Twitter, but Matthew Kroll on Blue Sky. Look at all the places. Is where Blue we are. Threads. Look at what Whoa. is happening. Places. Uh, <laughs> next week, I believe uh, it's going to be an impossible mission force. Um, uh, should should we accept? Uh, what if I don't we just know. said no? What, what if, if we, we just said no? What if the podcast <laughs> is just your mission? Should you choose to accept it? We're all like, nah. No. And it's and like it literally a minute long. Yeah, and it just you know, there's a self destruct. There's an old Nintendo game, Rambo, yep. and in the very beginning of the game, you uh, you have a two choices. You you, you start Rambo and uh, Rambo two in jail, and mm-hmm. in the beginning of the game, you either select I choose to fight, and that starts the game, or you say I choose to stay in jail, and, and the, the game over. is over. Yeah. <laughs> like, you technically you know, win. He, yeah, he's basically like, nah, I, I, I'm good here. I'm not going to the jungle. So tune in next week to see what kind of episode you get. Uh, Again, Alan, James, thank you so much for coming on and uh, chatting with us. And uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Thanks for having us on. This was a blast. Bye.